Bom bom bits, a bowl full of chips. Bom bom bits, with Chappy and Pip. Bom bom bits, two young brothers. Bom bom bits, talking college football. Bom bom bits, and life and humor. And some funny ass clips. So relax and unwind with a bowl full of chips. Hey, college football fans, happy Monday, happy Super Bowl Monday. Let us give you the perfect cure for the Super Bowl hangover, a bowl full of chips. I am your co-host, Yappy Chappy, and you all know my co-host, Bip's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Bip, how does this Eve find you, my friend? Well, Chappy, had a little trouble waking up from my Super Bowl food coma, but other than that, I've uh, since thought out from the uh, the polar temperatures that we had recently, and I'm ready to roll. Yeah, I was going to... I was going to ask you if the polar vortex, uh, did the polar vortex F you? And of course, by F, I mean freeze. Because uh, <laughs> I, sure, I sure it, got I sure got F'd by the polar vortex. <laughs> you know, I wasn't too bad. Of, of course, uh, as always, the the women in the house were a little colder than what I was. But, no. Um, <laughs> so, but no, not too bad. No frozen pipes, uh, car started up, and uh, luckily we didn't lose power. So <laughs> yeah, all things considered, not too bad. And my apologies for you for having to work five days this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's the life I chose when I decided not to be a teacher. That's right. Like I tell my wife, we all make choices, honey. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I kind of figured that uh, with all the talk of the transfer portal, the, this polar vortex maybe got a little jealous and needed to rear its head uh, for a couple of days. So right, I think right. that's what happened. So we are here at BFC. We bring football closer to you, the fans. And for those of you that are returning, we thank you for making a, making a bowl full of chips part of your weekly diet. So tell your doctor how much better you feel after getting a bowl full of chips for an hour twice a week. See what they say. Yes, we are bucking conventional medicine, ladies, and probably more gentlemen. So here at Bowl Full of Chips, we love college football. We love to laugh, and we love the college experience. As some of you might know, Pip and I are both graduates, proud graduates of Central Michigan University. And fire up chips. Fire up chips. There you go. I was waiting for that, Bip. Um, <laughs> so, Bip, let's let's start off by talking about maybe some of our fun times at college, and we'll we'll keep this PG rated. But what were some of your moments, or was there a college experience or two that uh, sticks out in your mind that you uh, that's your go to at, at parties when you're reliving the the glory days? Well, one of my uh, favorite things to do was obviously day drinking, um, and it was always <laughs> cool that um, you know the Mac. Uh, for those of you who are unaware, um, Wednesday, Thursday night Maction, yes, when uh, that would that would take place. I think we had the pleasure of having one game on Thursday where a ranked Ball State team came in and uh, played Central Michigan. So. I'm sorry, what what school was that? Ball State. <laughs> okay, just checking. <laughs> so that was a pretty cool experience. Um, as the the quarterbacks uh, uh, escaping me right now, but I believe Ball State went on to win uh, eleven games that year. And that was when um, they had Brady Hoke, right? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. Um, yeah. So so being able to partake in the festivities uh, throughout the afternoon and into the evening, and then because Mount Pleasant 
is uh, constructed in a way to where you could get across campus anywhere, but in about 15 minutes, being able to walk from the apartment to the game. Uh, that was one of the highlights. Um, of course. The game didn't turn out uh, in the chip's favor, but everyone in the stands had a good time. That's good. Now, I, I can't remember, and this sounds terrible because I'm your brother, but were you there when with the Lefevre and Antonio Brown era, or did, they, did you just miss that? Oh no, I was there for the entire. Uh, so I, I was I was actually very lucky that my freshman year was uh, Dan Lefevre's freshman year. So oh nice during during the uh, Brian Kelly and uh, Butch Jones era, I was there for the entire experience. <laughs> you lucky son of a gun! I had to suffer through Dick Flynn and then ugh, three years of Mike DeBoard. Mike DeBoard. Yeah. Mike DeBoard. <laughs> yeah, that's right. By the way, did you hear that after Indiana fans were happy to hear that Mike DeBoard was let go, their new offensive coordinator is named Caleb DeBoer? I mean, think about yeah, – they, uh, <laughs> they just cut the D off. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that'd be like our next president for those who are opposed to the current El Capitan, our next president being like um, Donnie Trump. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Jeffy? Any uh, any reminiscing times that uh, you care to share with the, the listening audience? Yeah, I've got two quick but good stories. One of them does involve football because I, like you, was that CMU student who, when the chips were playing, I went there. And in hindsight, I, I maybe could have tailgated a little bit more. But as most of our listeners can can pick up by now, I'm somebody who is a very analytical college football fan and I like to get there early and kind of watch the warm-ups and I, I was a college football nerd in that way but my highlight of the low time in CMU football while I was there we were playing a ranked Western Michigan team and they were I think they were a 25 team in like the USA Today poll or something like that one of those outside polls and they had only one loss in the season they were on their way to moving up higher in the rankings and we we beat them but the highlight was my roommate and beloved friend Mr. Kruger decided that he wanted to go mess with the Bronco mascot so he in an attempt to de demask the Bronco was punched in the gut by three or four Bronco supporters and he came back <laughs> bent over saying, you know, telling us the story and telling us that it was an unsuccessful trip. So that was a highlight. And then uh, that was the only time that I got to storm the field. I was at one other game at Northwestern last year when they beat Michigan State in triple overtime and, and the fans rushed the field. But I was in a race to get out of there and get back on the road and get back home to, to Michigan. But another right. story was and this is one of my favorites. I, I can't pass the Jose Olay chimichangas in the grocery store without thinking about my roommate who, in a little bit of a drunken state, got upset because he kept chiming in my name, Chappie, Chappie, Chappie. And finally, I turned to him because I was talking to a lady and I said, what? What do you want? And he stone cold faced me. He walked away. And as I'm talking to a couple friends, all of a sudden I have frozen Jose Olays chucked at my head out of anger. And uh, he chased me out of the apartment. And it wasn't so much that I was running away as a chicken, but more so that I was just trying to kind of save the situation and not let it escalate into something that I didn't want to clean up the next day. So, but uh, yeah, those are my two top college stories that, that stick out. Very nice. Very nice. Yep. So shout out to you, Fedge. <laughs> um, well, 
we are going to give you the rundown for tonight's podcast. Bip and I last time wanted to get to, we were talking about the transfer portal. And so we're going to give you our transfer wish list team. And this is going to be a little bit different. And we'll set that up when we get to that segment. We're also going to look at, with the Super Bowl this weekend, we're going to take a look at the the two rosters and tell you who are our top six offensive and defensive players from either team in terms of when they were in the college ranks. And then finally, we're going to give you a rundown as to why the college game is better than the program. So here on Bowl Full of Chips, we obviously have the college agenda and we want to recognize the big game in the NFL this past Sunday. But we also want to leave you with a, a taste of college football in your mouth because that's the one that that sticks with us the whole time. So Bip, we're going to give a quick shout out here to somebody on Twitter who has been a follow to us and they do a great job. And this is at Pick 6 Previews. And many of you are probably familiar with them. They're they're an up-and-coming website. They started in 2012, and really since then, they have been dubbed by the Stassen Report as the most accurate Power 5 preseason preview um, in terms of the picks and the prognostications. So we want to give that shout-out to at Pick 6 Previews. If you don't follow them on Twitter yet, you should. They give a lot of good information, information from the college game. Um, and... Bip, full disclosure here, I I wanted to let you know, buddy, that I may be enjoying myself a Canadian beverage. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I uh, sometimes I like to partake in the, the Canadian club, you know, because they go out every day and uh, they give it 110%. But, uh, you know, today I, I'm running with uh, Jack Daniels a little bit because sometimes you got to just uh, pass it over to the American and uh, see if he can shoot and score. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so let's give you... Uh, let's get a quick countdown because Bip and I, that's something that we've been doing the last few weeks and we're at 28 now, Bip, 28 weeks to the start of the college season. But the better news is we are now under 200 days. So we are in the one dash dash denomination here. So we're getting there, my friend, we're getting there. (laughs) Right. So again, here at bowl full of chips, we are the podcast that gives you more than the mainstream podcasts do. We're going to throw details at you. We're going to back our claims with research, maybe a little bit more than some of the fly-by-day, fly-by-night media outlets who sometimes can gloss over some of the intricate parts of, of this great game. We don't have a political agenda. We don't have an occupational agenda. What we say is is coming from us. So while we are subjective in our thoughts, we also try to remain objective and not have too much of a bias or a slant or slam or too much praise one way or the other. So we're going to be complimentary and critical wherever such revelations are due. So let's get into our news and notes for this past week. Bip, I hear that there's a new guy at USC. Yep, and they're crossing their fingers that he stays for longer than a month. Graham Harrell has been hired as the new offensive coordinator at USC, coming over from North Texas, and this was a big blow to the mean green. Um, Harrell had orchestrated offenses at North Texas the last couple of years that finished 19th in points per game in 2017 and 27th in uh, 2018, and then 24th in yards per game in 2017 and improved to 20th in 2018. And it really shows how how much potential Harold has is there's not always the most talent to work with uh, down at in North Texas. So I, I'm really looking, well, 
as a Notre Dame fan, I'm not really looking forward to, uh, <laughs> to it that much. But it, right. at, from a college football perspective, I'm looking forward to see how he brings that spread offense that should play really well with JT Daniels and that incredibly talented group of receivers that they have at USC. Um, as I think that it was a, another home run hire for them. And for their sake, I hope that they can hang on to him. But if I'm TCU, I'm keeping my eye on Sonny Cumbie in the event that USC somehow loses Harold this year because <laughs> USD seems to be desperately searching for a Mike Leach disciple. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to point out, that it's it's amazing how, how skilled his former quarterbacks are. You look at Lincoln Riley. Cliff Kingsbury, Sonny Cumbie, and Graham Harrell all played quarterback for Mike Leach and all are considered to be some of the top offensive minds in the college game. Um, and and that, that, that's not really a, a surprise. Is, you know, I, I haven't no. digested his playbook too much, but in, in watching Texas Tech and Washington State, that seems like it would be a pretty hefty playbook to digest right. and to understand pre-snap, post-snap, everything and the, everything that goes on with that offense and the nuances of that offense. You know what? Actually, I've heard that the playbook and his system is very, very simple. In fact, there's times where he doesn't really? even really look at a call sheet. Yeah, it's really okay. just about what a defense gives you. So it's more about pre-snap read and it's more about progressions than it is an intricate uh, war and peace novel type sure. thickness in their playbook. So I was kind of caught off guard at that too. And I think it's a cool story about Mike Leach. There's a great chapter in it in a book called The System. And I can't think of who the authors are, but there's a chapter in there about Mike Leach and what he did at Texas Tech. And so he kind of got going uh, as a uh, law student at BYU and he just attended the games in the stadium and decided that he wanted to pick Lavelle Edwards brain about the West Coast offense and kind of had this thought that well I could do this 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 is analytical and I'm an analytical guy it's just about kind of seeing where the weaknesses are in a defense and then attacking that and so I think Mike Leach is going to go down as one of the more interesting stories in, in college football coaching history but yeah I, I've heard that it's very simplified and it's just a matter of having the right teacher and obviously Leach is, has been a great one. Yeah and for anyone listening uh, authors of that book Jeff Benedict and Armin Katayan. Okay uh, that's right. Anyone interested in picking it up um, I, uh, I know you've lent it to me a couple of years ago. I have not had the chance to read it, but uh, you have talked it up plenty enough for me to uh, still have it on my list of uh, books to read. So yeah, it's, any, it, any, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, a real gung ho reader, but that was right. one that it was very difficult for me to put down. And I always, I always rolled my eyes when I would hear book nerds talk about that and say, Oh, it's a real page turner. I couldn't put it down. And I'm like, uh, trust me, I could do that. <laughs> but this was one where it was, you know, you're, you're flipping and you're flipping and you're like, man, I just have to finish this chapter. And then you're thinking, okay, I'm going to get to the next one because it sounds like it's similar to the, the one I just finished. So yeah, it's a good one. Right. Yeah. And, and, and on the same page of having trouble reading books, how about this, uh, Missouri thing that's going on right now, Chappie? Yeah. So Missouri has been put on a postseason ban for, I don't know if it's all of their athletic teams, but it's it's the major ones. It's certainly football, baseball, and football is not going to be able to play in a postseason game in 2019 due to academic fraud. Basically what happened was there were some tutors who were doing papers and taking tests for the players. Not like that's never happened before. Right. Uh, but the big question now is what does Kelly Bryant do? Because he has transferred, he's enrolled, he's been taking classes, and the question was, is he going to stay? Now, Barrett Sally from uh, 
I believe he works for CBS. I know he covers the SEC said that there was a report and it was confirmed by other sources that uh, allegedly Kelly Bryant says that he is not going to transfer, even though they're not going to have a postseason game. But I find that hard to believe Bip. it's your last year of college football. And it didn't seem like he was in love with Missouri. I mean, he didn't grow up a Missouri fan. It's not like he had a lineage of father and grandfather and, and uncles who played for the Tigers. It's, this is a good situation for him. So uh, while I find it admirable if he says he is going to stay to his commitment, I think selfishly he owes it to himself maybe to explore his options, get into that portal, and see where else he might be able to go. Because ultimately you want to play as many games and you want to reach the highest level of, of success, and that includes the postseason, as a college athlete. So I'm not sold on the fact that he's going to stay, but if he does, good for him. But also if he decides to transfer and he goes to a place where he can better himself, good for him as well. Yeah, I'm also interested to figure that out because in addition to wanting to play in a bowl game, getting more exposure, Missouri is a place that can showcase your talent as a quarterback. And if he has one big season, even if he doesn't play in the bowl, um, that could vault him, even if it's – I don't think that he's got great draft prospects, but he could right. be someone that showing off his arm talent this year could turn enough heads, and maybe he's a day two or day three draft pick sticks right. with an NFL team at some point. So maybe that's more in his head than the postseason. But yeah, it definitely makes you wonder if this has any impact on him in the immediate term, how this is going to impact uh, Missouri's recruiting. As um, as I was reading a little bit further into the uh, couple articles that I was um, visiting, they, Missouri gets a 5% reduction in scholarships. And okay. an interesting thing that I saw, they get a 12.5% reduction in unofficial visits. So that, oh, wow. got, me, that got me starting starting to think, you know, with all of these academic and scandals um, that happen in, in college football, what's what's the biggest punishment that you could give a college team to really drive home the point of we're not going to take this anymore because it's so rampant? And I, I'm kind of opposed to um, a scholarship reduction just because that limits the total pool uh, for every athlete that wants to play college football and, and do so with a free education. But that does seem to be the most effective. But in reading that they have a, a reduction in unofficial visits, I think it would be a great idea for these cases to more than 12.5%, but limit unofficial visits, limit official visits, uh, limit really uh, where it hurts teams the most, and that's in the recruiting uh, department. What do you think about that, Chappie? Well, my, the first thing that came to mind is, you know, when you ask what's what's the way to really drive it home, the SMU football program from the 1980s are probably all shooting their hands up to where the point where they almost separate their shoulder and say the death penalty is probably about as bad as it can get because that was a very sure. proud, tradition-rich program in Dallas, Texas, and they were almost off the map, almost out of football for for some time and really it wasn't until just recently when june jones kind of revived that program and then uh, chad morris got it going until he left for arkansas and then um spike dykes did a good job with with them this year uh, mm -hmm. here's what i think I, I agree with you i i look at the penn state situation and i think it's unfair to penalize players who didn't have anything to do with that uh, you need to punish the institution so my thought is and I don't know how this works legally, if they can do this or not, but I think that you should have to give up a percentage of your revenue. So you can still bring in athletes. You can still 
maybe you you take away a postseason appearance, mm-hmm. so you can't play in the postseason, but you can still. Uh, you know, get the players you need to. You can still play on TV to, to try and bring in money, but the NCAA gets a portion of that, whether it's 50%, whether it's 60%. And I know that some programs are going to say, well, that's practically taking all of our revenue to keep us alive. Again, to your point, that's going to help drive home the thought that we're going to hire guys who are going to do it the right way. And we're going to vet these uh, coaches and we're going to vet these staff members and we're going to make sure we're doing our due diligence because ultimately it's up to the university. It's their responsibility to make sure that they're monitoring what's going on under their watch because they are making millions of dollars. And I'm not going to get into the whole you know, paying players and, and these players are being robbed of the money that they're bringing in, but the universities are certainly – cashing in on that and so therefore if if they're going to allow these things to happen i think that that's how you punish them because that's the best way to get anybody to learn a lesson is to threaten their their pocketbooks yeah absolutely or or even if you um i was thinking if you give if you allow them to have all 85 scholarship players on team but just don't allow any any record to be had for that year or you allow uh for guys to practice but take away games that they play, you know, so that way you still have the same opportunity, the same number of opportunities out there for these scholarship athletes. Um, But maybe you get the bottom of the barrel players of guys that choose between, do I want to go D2 or do I want to play D1, but know that I can't play an actual college football game for my freshman, sophomore year. Right. Um, and, And maybe, and maybe that drives home more of the fear to these teams, but something interesting to chew on for sure. Yeah, and and sadly, it all comes down to the NCAA cashes in as these teams cash in. So that's kind of the the big crux here is does the NCAA want to bite the hand that feeds it? You know, which are these big time programs? And so that's where it's easier to nab a, a team from a group of five school or conference as opposed to some of these bigger boys because that's where the money's coming in from and and that's where sometimes people get a, a jaded and crooked look at NCAA athletics right right so uh, transfer portal was continuing to go bip and there were a couple things that happened this week uh, I heard Maryland got a couple of good transfers yeah, so Maryland gets uh, Keandre Jones uh, from Ohio State and Sean Savoy from Virginia Tech. Um, Savoy, a uh, receiver that is uh, went through his true sophomore year last year and kind of regressed from his freshman season mm-hmm. um, as he had lower numbers across the board. Still had a couple of games this year where he caught six and four passes, respectively. Kind of a small guy at 5'9", but... A good get from Maryland as they lost some receivers uh, this year to graduation, and their depth is extremely young at that position. So yeah, uh, kind of an underrated get for them. Um, interested to see how Savoy does. And Keandre Jones is entering uh, his make-or-break season as he's already played three seasons with the Buckeyes, albeit hasn't done very much with them. He's a five-star coming out of high school, and the most tackles that he's had in a season is 15. So as of right now, neither expected to be eligible for 2019. Jones has the outside shot of potentially graduating from Ohio State before the fall begins, which would make him a grad transfer at that point. And then, you know, obviously both guys could petition for hardship waivers and see what happens with that. Yeah, and, you know, Maryland succeeded with a couple of transfer players last year, notably their 
top linebacker, Trey Watson, who transferred from the University of Illinois, uh, had a pretty good season for the Terps last season. So, um, you know, they've been there before. And they also had a defensive end. Uh, I want to say uh, Byron Coward, I think was his name. Um, yep. I'd have to look that up. Yeah, but he he was a transfer player as well. So, And with Mike Loxley coming in, you know, there's the thought that the big reason he was hired was being able to recruit some of these top flight guys. And so we'll see how Savoy and Jones pan out. I do know that he adds to a, a what should be a, an underrated but promising group of receivers. Jay Sean Jones, a true freshman from Florida last year, had a kind of a breakout season. Um, we'll have the chance to improve on that even more this year. So, But bottom line is they've got to get a quarterback who can throw in the ball. They're two quarterbacks. They're good, <laughs> good, good runners, but Kasim Hill and Tyrell Pegram, neither one could really throw the ball well. Case in point was their opportunity to upend the – uh, top five ranked Ohio State Buckeyes and just completely whiffed on a two-point conversion play, which was a great play call. The receiver got open, but the quarterback just sailed it on him a little bit, and so they, they missed their shot. Yeah, that was embarrassing. Right. Well, not if you're a Buckeye fan, but... <laughs> well, right, right, right. All right, so Bip and I are going to do something fun here. We're going to give you our mythical transfer wish list team. Now, the rules here are... Bip and I were looking at players who, if they were in the transfer portal, which we want to declare that these guys are not, but if they were, if let's say we had carte blanche on any transfer player that we wanted to talk into, bring into our school, uh, they can't be from Clemson or Alabama. That would be too easy. And they can't be from a first team all conference team. So these are all guys who are not on the first team all-conference, so then clearly not on any All-American teams either. And they're returning this year, so not guys who have graduated or not guys who have gone to the NFL. So, Bip, let's let's hear from you. Who are six guys that you would recruit and try and get to turn in their transfer papers, enroll at your university, and start spring ball in a couple of weeks? Well, first I'm going to go with someone that uh, I think I've mentioned several times on the podcast already. He's kind of my college football version of my man crush. I'm going to go with Jake Fromm from Georgia as my quarterback. <laughs> and, and I got to go with Fromm. Not only does does he have uh, some great um, characteristics in regards to accuracy, he's got a great arm, knows the offense, can run it well, but his leadership ability alone would be someone that I would look for as my my starting quarterback. Sure. Um, and, and from 2017 to 2018, he increased in just about every passing total uh, while decreasing his interceptions. So got to go with uh, Fromm from Georgia. I also went good with, pick. I, I also went with a, another quarterback in the event that I can't lure Fromm to my mythical team. And I went with Brock Purdy from Iowa State. Now, Iowa State was one and three before Purdy was inserted into the lineup. Purdy then went eight and two as a starter with those two losses being against Texas and then a two point loss against Washington state in the bowl game. Right. Purdy was 15th in the country in completion percentage, third in the country in yards per attempt and sixth in the country in quarterback rating behind Tua Murray, Will Greer, Haskins and Jake Fromm. So he it's pretty also, good company. yeah, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I thought when I was compiling this list. Now, he also added 308 net yards on the ground, despite being sacked 21 times in his 10 starts, showing some nice mobility, and he did all this as a true freshman. So if I'm going with a backup quarterback or a, a plan B, Brock Purdy's a pretty damn good one. Yeah, I would agree. At uh, running back, I had a tough choice between Greg McRae 
and someone that you highlighted on the podcast last week, uh, Chappie, Reggie Corbin from Illinois. Sure. Now, both of these guys led their teams in rushing. Both averaged an astounding uh, at least 8.5 yards per carry. But I went with McCray because taking a deeper dive into Corbin's numbers show you that he kind of lived and died on the big play. Yeah, he, he had did. rushing plays of 77, 72, 69, 80, and 73. And if you take out those five, he still averaged a respectable 5.8 yards per carry. But if you take out McCray's top five runs, he still would have averaged 7.4 yards per carry. So I know I'm getting a little nerdy into all of these statistics here, but no, man, I that's like, awesome. I love it. <laughs> I, I, I like that. Uh, it's like porn Mc, to a college football fan. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, in addition to that, McCray averaged eight yards per carry or better in eight games this year compared to Corbin doing it five times. So I like both and I like Corbin's home run uh, hitting ability, mm-hmm. but I take McCray due to his higher level of consistency. So okay. Uh, both guys need to be used more this year in their in their team's game plans, and I think they will be. So I'm excited to see the season, the 2019 season for both McCray and Corbin, but I went with uh, McCray with a slight edge. Yeah, it's a good pick, and, and I'm really surprised that Corbin was not more of a focal point in that Illinois offense. Rod Smith does a great job spreading it out, and fortunately he really only came up big against the teams that I didn't want to see win. So IE my Northwestern Wildcats, but he was hurt in that last game of the year against Northwestern. He played a couple snaps, but just had to be taken out because he just couldn't do it. He had a shoulder injury, I think, but yeah, both okay. are good options, but I would agree with you. I I'd, I'd give the nod to McCray myself. Sure. Um, next guy I went with uh, wide receiver to and Terry from Florida state. A uh, 6'4 freshman who averaged 21.3 yards per catch and scored eight times. He was really the only thing that Florida State had on that offense, despite all the talent around him, as right. he was their number one big play threat. He's only a three-star coming out of high school last year, so a lot of credit given to the uh, Florida State coaching staff to find him, as he looks like he could be a future star in, in Tallahassee. Um, I also decided to go with tight end Kobe Parkinson from Stanford. He was fourth in the country amongst tight ends last year in yards per catch, averaging 16.7. He also contributed seven touchdown catches, including a 75-yard touchdown against Oregon State and the game-winning touchdown grab in the uh, crazy overtime game against Oregon last year. Yeah, He's 6'7 with good speed, and he's he's exactly what you imagine when you when you think of a Stanford tight end. Um, and I, I'm I'm forgetting the the other tight end that he was in company with last year. That Kate uh, Smith. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, he decided to declare for the draft um, after the 2018 season, so this should be a huge year for Parkinson and his abilities. Right. Lastly, on offense, I went with uh, one of the big boys up front, uh, offensive lineman Trey Smith from Tennessee. Um, now yeah. he, he missed last year due to blood clots in his lungs. So hopefully all is well with his health this year and he's able to return, but sure. he, he was the number one overall recruit according to ESPN in the class of 2017. And he was really Tennessee's best offensive lineman as a true freshman in 2017 as well. So hopefully things get back on track for Smith. And as you mentioned in a previous podcast, look out for the Vols this year as they have a lot of talent returning, some transfers coming in, some good recruiting classes coming in. And Trey Smith could be a huge part of their success this year if they're going places. Yeah, I agree. And I don't want to I don't want to make any predictions right now, but I, I will say that, again, Tennessee is, is one that I'm going to take a close look at in this offseason. And when we get into our 2019 previews, 
the Vols could be a player in that SEC East more so than some people might give him credit for, especially with some of the, the transfers that they got, the addition of offensive coordinator Jim Chaney. And they were a uh, they were five and seven last year, but Jeremy Pruitt has them certainly going in the right direction, and he's a no nonsense coach. I really like his style, and being a Saban disciple, you know that he's he's coming from a pretty good pedigree. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Curious what their Vegas over under wins would be this year, as they look like a team that's on the upswing. So that was my offensive team. But uh, Chappie, how about you? Who did you have uh, running the offensive side of the ball? Well, it. Quarterback was tough for me because you know my you know you reference your your college football man crush I I have kind of a a soft spot for Sam Hartman at Wake Forest mm-hmm. but there was a another quarterback who just edged him out won his bowl oh. game yeah I know and uh, <laughs> you know so and. This was, of course, I made this list while I was watching the season two of QB1, which featured right. Sam Hartman. Yep. Um, but I'm going to go with Charlie Brewer from Baylor. He okay. completed 61% of his passes for 3,019 yards. He had a 19 to 9 touchdown to interception ratio. He won seven games, kind of helped Matt Rule get Baylor back on the upside of things after the ugliness that went down under uh, the previous coaching staff. But you know, the other thing is he comes from Lake Travis High School, a very productive and very successful mm-hmm. program in the state of Texas, one of the best. He also comes from a family of football players. His dad, his grandpa, his brothers all played Division One college football. So I like his guttiness. I like his leadership. It was, like I said, it was, it was tough to go against Sam Hartman. So Hartman would kind of be my uh, plan B if I, if I had to keep my eyes elsewhere. Yeah, well, and and the the Demon Deacons may have a quarterback controversy going into the spring and the fall. As I know, ja- Jamie Newman really stepped up last year. Went three and one as a starter with wins against Memphis, NC State, and Duke, I was say, uh, which yeah, were all real quality game. wins. So you could get your actual wish, and Hartman could find himself in the transfer portal sooner than later, depending on how the spring and the fall turn out. Yep, and and as much as I was happy for Wake to win that game, they screwed me in my bowl picks because I was reeling off 10 straight wins, 10 and 0 to start my bowl season. And then Memphis couldn't get it done for me. And, and they lost to the demon Deacons on, and the crazy ending to that bowl game. Yeah. Uh, well, like, like you, like you didn't win enough, but yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I like your quarter. I like your quarterback pick that, that turnaround that Matt rules had and, and continues to have in Baylor is, is nothing short of spectacular. Right. So in my backfield, I've got Michael Warren from Cincinnati Number one, he's an Ohio guy, and, and and you have to feel good getting any player from the state of Ohio, one of the top states in terms of football talent, rivaling up there with California, Florida, Texas, and Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. He rushed for 1,329 yards this year, 5.4 a carry. More impressively, though, 19 touchdowns. He also averaged 9.3 yards per catch out of the backfield. He, he caught the ball 25 times, so he's kind of a versatile back, but he's got good leg drive, a lot of power in his uh, in his hind parts. So good runner for Luke Fickle's team, and they had a pretty good year this year. And then beside him is Jamar Jefferson, a freshman from Oregon State. He ran for 1,380 yards, 5.8 a touch, 12 touchdowns. He also caught the ball for 25 times. And Oregon State... I think they're a year away, but I, I kind of touched on this in the last podcast when we talked about transfers. Jonathan Smith is bringing some good guys into Corvallis. He's a guy I think is, is willing to take two or three years to get a an established program, but look for them, not in 2019, but maybe 2020 to start turning some heads in that Pac-12 North. 
uh, receivers. I'm going to actually go with three receivers to round out my top six on offense. One is going to be Lynn Bowden from Kentucky. And I, you'll notice a theme here. I, I like taking guys who are multi-purpose. So not only can he catch the ball and run in space, he can also he's also a good jet sweeper coming off uh, motion. But he's also a, a very talented return specialist. And that's really where he excelled this year. He had five punt returns for 29 yards per return two touchdowns again just on five returns he caught the ball 67 times for an 11.1 yard average which doesn't you know open a a ton of eyes and and he only had five touchdowns but again you get this guy in space and and he's electric and you know to maybe an asterisk to that he didn't have the world's best quarterback throwing to him they weren't exactly a passing offense this year it was Benny Snell and a cloud of dust out in Lexington so I think if he comes to my program I'm certainly going to have a more expanded role for him. For sure. And again, he's also from the state of Ohio as well. So um, another one, KJ Hamler from Penn State, a freshman yes. from our neck of the woods in Pontiac, Michigan. Um, right. He caught the ball 42 times, averaged 18 yards per reception. And what blew me away was, if, if you remember, Bip, the catch and run on a slant route against Ohio State, he just dusted that Ohio State secondary. I mean, he basically ran by four guys, and they Mm -hmm. took a good angle on him, and he was just flat-out fast. So he averaged 26.2 yards per kick return, 6.9 per punt return. So, again, another versatile guy on my offense. And then my third guy. And impressive that he could make his way through um, what what was seemingly a, a talented wide receiver group in Penn state at the beginning of the year and was so successful. So yeah, uh, got to agree with you on that one for sure. Well, thank you. Uh, and then my third guy is from the university of Nebraska. That's JD Spielman. So in two years in Lincoln, he's averaged 60 yards per season or I'm sorry, 60 catches per season, 13.6 yards per catch, five touchdowns per season. Um, he's pretty good running on a jet sweep or, or getting in space. But again, 23.9 yards per kick return with a touchdown, 17.3 returning punts with a touchdown. So as you can tell, I like guys who can work the open space and get out and move the ball. And, and so I think he's going to be somebody who mark it down here, Bip and mark it down listeners, JD Spielman in Scott Frost's up tempo offense with Adrian Martinez thrown to him next year is going to be a Heisman candidate in the first part of the season. Now, whether he can wow. sustain that through the rest of the season, I really think that Spielman with the talents of Martinez, and I think the two of them are going to kind of be on that list of Heisman candidates. But if I'm going to emerge one of the other, um, I kind of like Spielman if he can rack up those big numbers early on. And of course that's just going to make Martinez look even better. So. Yeah, that's, that's not a bad thought. Um, I've had my eye on Spielman um, as, like you said, he's that, uh, kind of do it all on uh, the Bra- on the Nebraska offense. And in the second year in the Scott Frost offense, uh, he could really take off for sure. Yep. And just because I don't want to leave out our offensive linemen because they are, in my opinion, some of the most important guys on that offensive group, I would go after Shane Lemieux, a junior from Oregon, and Josh Sills, a sophomore from West Virginia. Both guys did a good job in their respective roles this season. Didn't make first team all conference, but those are two guys who are tough, they're nasty, and and they make me feel good about protecting my, my valuable quarterback. Sure, sure. 
So how about on the defensive side of the ball, Chappie? Who uh, who would you go to in our, our mythical transfer list? Well, I'm going to give you two guys at each of the three levels on defense. So starting up front, I'm going to go, and I touched on – this player in our last podcast, Ronnie Perkins, who I said was the most valuable, one of the most valuable yep. players defensively for Oklahoma. Stats don't knock you out of the park. It's 37 tackles, eight tackles for loss, and five sacks as a true freshman last year. But you look at the guy, he just looks like a football player. He looks like an All-American, and he's started to get that swagger. He started to get that confidence going toward the end of the season. Bringing in Alex Grinch as the new defensive coordinator, he's done a really good job at Washington State and at Ohio State at developing and getting the most out of his defensive linemen, and I think he's going to get that from Ronnie Perkins this year. So I'm going to steal him from Coach Grinch and bring him over to my program. Uh, my other guy on the interior is somebody who I think is really under the radar, Roy Lopez from New Mexico State. Now this guy, okay. if you watch film, he kind of looks like Lakane Manumanu from <laughs> the necessary roughness. He's got the the curly, uh, long hair ponied up, uh, but he's short and squatty. And the guy is just a, a nasty defensive tackle. He's really like a, a bore going against your offensive lineman, your center, and your guards. He racked up 12 and a half tackles for loss this year, four and a half sacks. Um, and I believe he had 46, or he was number six on his team in tackles, which as a defensive tackle is pretty good. So that either means that you're really good or your defense is not that great. But New Mexico State had a, a, a reasonably reasonably good defense this year. So I like Roy Lopez from New Mexico State, giving some love, love to the Aggies. Sure. Going to my linebackers, this guy had a huge breakout party against his hometown Columbus, Ohio Buckeyes, and that is Marcus Bailey from Purdue. This guy kind of does almost everything. He had 115 tackles, nine tackles for loss, six and a half sacks, one interception, but he made the most of it. It was a pick six to really seal the game against the Buckeyes in a statement for him. He also defended seven passes this year. He's a good leader. He's a great blitzer coming up the middle and somebody who in Big Ten country teams are, are, are going to have to keep an eye on him because he's going to be one of the best in, the, in that conference this year. And then my other guy I, I also threw out in my most valuable team last podcast, and that's Tipa Galliai from Utah State, an inside linebacker in their 3-4 scheme. In two years, he's had 95 tackles, 20 tackles for loss, 14 and a half sacks, two interceptions, four passes defended, two fumble recoveries, and four forced fumbles. So the guy gets around. He was a four-star recruit that originally committed to TCU, got into some trouble there, uh, was given a second chance, and trust me, he's very appreciative of it and grateful for the fact that the Utah State football program is allowing him to do what he loves, and and I think that he is uh, on the path to recovery and reform there in in uh, in Utah. Then yeah, in my it's one of those uh, nice stories of the yeah, always nice to hear about the reformed college football player that gets their opportunity taken away at one spot and then makes the most of it in the next place. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm a big believer in second chances. And so when you're given that second chance, you darn well better take advantage of it because very rare do you get a third chance. And if you do, shame on the person who kind of uh, overlooks that because, you know, if, if something wrong happens once and you fix it, then good for you. But if something wrong happens more than once, now it becomes a trend and that's an ugly trend. And so good for Tipa sure. and, and what he's doing. Yeah. So then in my secondary, I'm going to go with uh, a safety and a cornerback. And so my safety is going to be Kyle Hemby from Southern Miss. He's a junior. Uh, just missed out on first team All-Conference USA, but he had 51 tackles, six interceptions, which put him, I think, in the top 10 in the country. 
He also defended two passes, but that's because a lot of teams started to throw away from him. So sometimes you see that these guys don't have alarming stats, but it's because they're purposely avoided, especially on defense. Right. And then I've got to go. I, I would be remiss without taking somebody from the U in that nasty, aggressive defense that Manny Diaz was running last year, and that's cornerback Trajan Bandy, a sophomore. He wears number two, and something about guys who wear number two at Miami, especially on defense, uh, they really can ball it. He had 36 tackles from his corner spot, four and a half tackles for loss, three interceptions, eight passes defended, and he recovered two fumbles. So he was no stranger to the turnover chain. As, as sick as a, as sick as I was of seeing that thing over the last two years, uh, he certainly made good use of it. So those are my guys on defense, Bip. Uh, that's who I'm going to stop you and every other program in Division One with. Who are you going to uh, try and come after me with on the defensive, defensive side of the ball? Well, first and foremost, I'm going to get a good pass rush, and that all starts with Alton Robinson from Syracuse. Now, I, I almost went with him. Good pick. <laughs> th- this might be kind of cheating because in any other conference, he would have been first team all conference, but right. of course, he plays in the same place that uh, Syracuse does. So, uh, 10 Clem- sacks. Clemson, you mean? I'm sorry. Who did I say? You said Syracuse. He plays for Syracuse, but he yeah. he's going okay. against the uh, the yeah. fearsome foursome <laughs> from Clemson. <laughs> My apologies for the redundancy. Yes, that's uh, okay. Tends to, that's your tends fault, to, Jack. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Thanks, Mr. Daniels. Um, <laughs> ten sacks, seventeen tackles for loss. Had a stretch of where he had at least one tackle for loss in nine out of ten games, including three games where he had at least three tackles for loss. He's going to combine this year with Kendall Coleman for ha- to produce perhaps the the best pair of defensive ends in the ACC this year. So if I'm starting and looking for a pass rusher, I'm going with Alton Robinson for sure. And not to cut you off, but he almost had the biggest play and most impactful play of the year when he took Trevor Lawrence out of that Syrac or out of that Clemson That's game. Right. Um, fortunately for his health and for college football fans and for Clemson fans, Lawrence returned the next week. But uh, right. Robinson had a huge hit on Lawrence, which kind of uh, awakened him and welcomed him to college football. Yeah, for sure. Uh, next, I'm going to stay on the defensive line and, and go with uh, a mountain of a man, Raquan Williams from Michigan State. Yep. Um, guy who's got really good quickness, can get to the quarterback. Obviously really good at stuffing the run, had 10 and a half tackles for loss, two sacks last year. He had 50 total tackles and is a problem for opposing offensive linemen, both in the running and in the passing game. So if I'm going to have anyone that takes up space and could also potentially rush the passer with Robinson, I'm going to go with Williams out of uh, MSU in that stout defense. Yeah, good luck running against him. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um Next, I'm going to go with an outside linebacker slash rush end, uh, Josh Uche out of Michigan. And I I really like this guy. Now, he didn't start every game last year, um, but and and he only had 13 tackles, but eight of them were for loss. Seven of them were sacks. And this is just a big guy, a big play guy that can disrupt the pocket, get after the quarterback. And he looks to be maybe one of the most uh, feared defenders in the Big Ten this year. Look out for Uche. Yeah. Um, at inside linebacker, I'm going to go with Colin Schooler, a guy that you talked about on our last podcast from sure. Arizona, guy that flies around the ball, led the team in tackles with 119, including 21 and a half tackles for loss. Yeah. And as you mentioned, 70 some, uh, solo tackles, which is incredibly difficult to come by. Um, also had two interceptions and really reminds me a lot of, uh, Scooby Wright, another, uh, Arizona great linebacker. I was from, thinking uh, the same thing. Yeah. A few years past. Right. So. Um, 
getting into the secondary, I, 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 just, with... wanna, I just want to point out uh, before you get into your secondary. Yeah, so Schooler in the uh, hashtag Pac-12 After Dark, he was really like the boogeyman uh, wreaking nightmares on opposing offenses. So, yeah, that's a good pick, number seven <laughs> from Arizona. So who do you got sure. in the secondary? In the secondary, I'm going to start with Thomas Graham, cornerback uh, from Oregon. Now, yep. he led the Ducks with 18 passes defended last year, which is, you know, a, a really great total for, for any defensive back. Uh, he also picked off, picked off three passes and had one defensive touchdown. And what really was impressive with him was when he was matched up against Nikhil Harry against uh, Arizona State, he had six passes defended alone in that game, yeah. which really set the tone. For that uh, Ducks defense, yeah. Props, dude. Um, if you can, if you can shut down Mister Harry like that, kudos to you. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, to round out my secondary, I tried to stay away from my Irish as much as possible, but I couldn't get away from Aloe Gilman. Yeah, um, guy that's as sure a tackler as you're going to find in the secondary. He actually welcomes and looks for contact anytime that uh, a play is going on on the field and showed the ability to be kind of a ball hawk last year as well with four forced turnovers. Mm -hmm. He finished second on the team in tackles and broke the cotton bowl record for tackles in a game against uh, Clemson. And in addition to that, similar to my uh, first pick of, of quarterback Jake Fromm, he's got great leadership abilities and is likely going to be a captain for the Irish next year. Yep, a former Navy man, and, uh, you know, I'm sure he's a great, nice guy, but reminds me of a guy that I played high school football with, one of the nicest guys in the world, but when he tackles you, you would think that you killed his mother, uh, stole his girlfriend, ran over his dog, spit on his uh, daughter. I mean, just he, he attacks you like he hates you with every fiber of his body, but then he'll extend his hand and help you up right after the play. So, yeah, I, I think that's a great yeah. pick. Yeah, he's got that that – typical uh you know hawaiian humbleness about him to where he you look like you look at him and he seems away from the football field like he wouldn't hurt a fly but on the football field he transforms into someone that's one of the most feared defenders on the field no matter who you're playing against yeah right so that rounds out our our teams as far as players are concerned i know we picked a couple uh, offensive and defensive coordinators i'm going to go ahead and give you my coordinators first and then see who you have sure. um offensively i wanted to go with mike yersich uh formerly okay. from ohio from oklahoma state uh got a um a, a position at ohio state as their passing coordinator now his offenses the past seven years in oklahoma state have been unbelievable Oklahoma finished in the top 10 in yards per passing game or yards passing per game in each of the past four seasons, including first in the country this past year. Uh, he's headed to Ohio state to become the passing game coordinator. Like I mentioned, and I look for the, the Buckeye passing game to be even better um, in the next few years, depending on what kind of quarterback play they get from Justin Fields. So really interested to see how Yursich uh, meshes with Fields and see how much of a, a pure passer Justin Fields can be in addition to his great athletic ability. Yeah, and I'm, I'm interested in the dynamic of someone like Yursich who is making a, in my opinion, a step up to Columbus and trying to prove himself on that next level, as well as Justin Fields trying to prove himself as, okay, I chose to transfer. I didn't leave because I felt I couldn't beat out Jake Fromm, but I'm going to establish my name for myself here at Ohio State. Are they going to blend well together? Is Fields going to be coachable? Or are each one going to is, – is Fields going to be that player who tries to uh, win the Heisman right away and try and have that breakout season? 
and, and maybe goes away from the playbook or the, the direction and the guides of his offense corner. And I'm just making an assumption. I don't really know what type of coachable player Justin Fields is, mm-hmm. but you, you always have to have that in the back of your mind when, when a player transfers from seemingly a position like he did and trying now to prove to the world that he belongs as, you know, one of the top quarterbacks in the country, regardless of who his, his new coordinator will be. Yeah, like you said, both of them seemingly taking a step upwards in in regards to opportunity and, and talent level, and the the bright lights are going to be on them, so they're going to have a lot of exposure on them, whether they succeed or fail. So lots of pressure on both Yursich and Fields going into this upcoming year. Yeah, uh, so, my my offensive coach, I went with Kendall Bryles, who is now at Florida State. Previously, he was at mm-hmm. Houston for a year. Prior to that, he was at Baylor for three or four years. And every year he's been an offensive coordinator, Bip, they have been in the top 10. And I think three of those five years, they've been in the top five in total offense. So the guy knows how to call plays. Uh, he He just has a knack for taking advantage of the weapons that he has. And I think that that's a big boost for Florida State, but that's why I want to bring him over to my program to call my offense so he can exploit and use the talents that I have at wide receiver. You didn't go with uh, Charlie Weiss Jr.? <laughs> Skippy? No. Uh, I'm yeah. going gonna, gonna to wait until uh, puberty hits and his voice doesn't crack anymore. So, yeah, uh, I think 23 is just a bit too young for me to roll the dice and, and launch my program with. <laughs> yeah, I think we can all agree that that was a failed experiment. Um, so we'll see what happens moving forward for his career. And, but, uh, and I'm also not going to bring him because that means Charlie's going to be there. And good luck getting to the buffet with uh, Charlie <laughs> attending after meetings. So. So uh, defensively, I kind of touched upon this last week, but Don Brown's an easy choice for me. Um, Finished first, third, and second in the country in the past three years in yards per game allowed on defense. The year before, he was at BC, and he finished first in the country in yards per game. Now he's getting up there in age, so I don't know how much longer I would have him for coaching. But the time that he is there with my mythical team, I know that we're going to be stout on defense regardless of the personnel. (laughs) Well, that's right. Um, Yeah, that's a good one to go with. I'm going to stay within the same conference, but I'm going to go Phil Parker from Iowa. And I think Parker is one of the more underrated coaches in the country. He does a lot with – I mean, Iowa is a good program. But on average, they get about three to four star ratings, mostly like upper three, three and a half. So he's not necessarily getting the cream of the crop where someone like Don Brown, especially now at Michigan, is inheriting a wealth of resources. And it's really just you're bringing him a set of diamonds and saying, which one do you want? Whereas Phil Parker is more so looking at the the pearl earrings. He's going JCPenney jewelry shopping, if you will, to use that analogy. <laughs> and and he's turning it into something that, you know, looks great at the, at the wedding or at the ball. Um, I know that nobody uses that term anymore. I don't know why I said that, but uh, you know, Parker does a great job with his defensive players and calls a great scheme. And, and, the best thing is they're they're just really physical there in Iowa City, and I like that. Yeah, for sure. They uh, the Hawkeyes always have similar kind of like I always uh, kind of relate Iowa to Michigan State and the fact that they don't get necessarily the most talented guys uh, at, at first notice coming out of high school, but man, do they coach them up and they always have stout defenses and nice and, and good running games and and he's a, a key contributor to to that um, dynamic that they have in, in Iowa. 
Yep, taking the coal and turning it into diamonds for sure. Absolutely. Did you have anybody else? Because I, I, I did throw out a strength coach, and you know this is kind of just off the cuff for me, but I went with Ross Kalaji from Wisconsin mainly because you know I looked at some of the, the strength coaches around college football, and it, it would be easy to go with Scott Cochran from Alabama. He's kind of everybody's All-American strength coach, but – Kalaji used to be a player under Barry Alvarez. He was on a couple Rose Bowl teams in Madison. And you look at Wisconsin, they take guys like, for example, I think David Edwards, their All-American offensive tackle this year, came in as a quarterback and they turned him to an All-American beefy 300-pound offensive lineman. And it wasn't that he was just, you know, big and fat. He was uh, strong. He's, uh, you know, just a mountain of a guy and, and can move and bulldoze places. And he's tough too, obviously playing in that frigid Madison weather. Um, and he'll probably be one of those guys who in five years, he'll look like a division one quarterback, but right now he's a, uh, an NFL prospect at offensive tackle. So he's a right. Kalaji was, is a guy who I would also add to my staff. No, that's good. I, the only exposure I have to a strength and conditioning coach is what I hear for about uh, Matt Bayless at Notre Dame, which he, he's done an amazing job in his own right the last couple of years that he's been there and transforming. And you can see the it, it's kind of cool to see um, when a new strength and conditioning coach comes in and is more effective than the one that's previously in there, because you can see it in the fourth quarter. You can see it in the the the, the game in game out production and uh, performance of the players. So I, I like that you added that in. I didn't even think about adding a, a strength and conditioning coach in there, but that's a, that's a good point. And I didn't know that about Edwards. It's a, it's a cool story. Yeah. Well, that's why my team is going to have one leg up over you because I'm, I'm going to go the extra <laughs> mile to find uh, somebody who's going to develop my talent. <laughs> yeah, that's right. My guys will all be uh, fat and flabby. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, let's segue right into our next, you know, uh, the Super Bowl was last night and congratulations to the winners. We're going to take a look at who from those rosters, the Los Angeles Rams and the New England Patriots, who were some of the best college players on these rosters. And they can be from either team or both teams, but we're basing this either on a single season or collectively. Um, so maybe what type of college player they were overall. I'll be honest, Biff, I kind of looked at it from a single season perspective. So let me give you my six guys that I would choose on offense, and I'll tell you what team they're playing for sure. um, in the NFL. So um, I went with a wide receiver starting Brandon Cooks from Oregon State. He plays for the Rams. In 2013, he had 128 receptions, 16 touchdowns, and that's where I, th- I believe he had Derek Anderson thrown to him at, or at, not, I'm sorry, not Anderson, but I can't remember who the quarterback was for the Beavers at that time, but uh, big yardage in the Pac 12, and he's certainly doing good things for Sean McVay's Rams. Mm-hmm. I also went on that same team, Robert Woods, who in 2011 for the USC Trojans, caught 111 passes, 15 touchdowns, and over three years he caught a total of 252. And I'm going to go with their quarterback. Uh, In college, Jared Goff, who played for Cal, had better numbers in, in any single season than Tom Brady did. Obviously, if we're basing this on NFL careers, Brady's going to be my choice. But Goff, in 2014 as a junior, his last year in college, he completed 64.5% of his passes, 4,700 yards, 43 to 13 touchdown to interception ratio. 
And then giving love to the Patriots, uh, I, I chose three guys from that side on offense. Sony Michelle from Georgia in 2017, that memorable season for the Bulldogs last year, or two years ago, I should say. 1,227 yards on the ground, 7.9 per carry, and 16 total touchdowns in a pretty tough SEC. James White for Wisconsin in 2010 as a freshman. Now, he had a couple pretty good seasons, but as a freshman in 2010, he had 1,052 yards for 6.7 yards per touch, 14 touchdowns. And then his senior season, so his bookend years for the Badgers, he had 1,444 yards, 6.5 yards per carry. He also caught 39 passes for two touchdowns, and that's kind of what we've seen him excel at in the NFL is his yeah. – uh, productivity out of the backfield catching passes for for nfl quarterbacks yep um and then finally Dwayne allen for clemson he was an all-american in 2011 his junior year he came out early into the nfl draft but he caught uh 50 passes that season for 12 yards per catch and eight touchdowns for the clemson tigers as they were starting their upswing into the upper echelon of college football that year so those are the guys i have on offense no, I, I like those. Uh, I also went with golf, and actually, my number two uh, pick instead of Brady was actually going to be Sean Mannion, as golf and, yeah. and Mannion kind of went toe to toe with a lot of the Pac-12 all-time records. Right. Uh, but I went with golf uh, for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned. Running back, I went with uh, Todd Gurley. Lost four games uh, due to suspension um, for the for his incident of signing memorabilia. Also, tore his ACL. Uh, in his career so he could have had a lot more yards than what he did in his career but right. averaged 6.4 yards per carry uh, rushed for over 3,200 yards and had over 600 yards receiving with 42 total touchdowns so it was just an absolute beast for Georgia yeah I also went with James White more so because had he not shared the backfield with Monty Ball, James Clay, and Melvin Gordon who knows how many yards he would have ended up and how yeah. many touchdowns we could have had because he in his own right, he had really good statistic years every every year he was with Wisconsin, but he was sharing the ball with at least one of those guys. So if it was a situation like a Jonathan Taylor, uh, White could have put up just as good of numbers potentially. Yeah. Um, also selected Brandon Cooks uh, from um, Oregon State just slightly over Robert Woods went with Gronk at tight end. And I really would have been interested to see what his junior year could have been like if he didn't have back surgery at the beginning of the season that cost him his entire junior year. Yeah. And the last guy I wanted to touch upon is Rob Havenstein from Wisconsin. He started 54 games for the Badgers. And during that time, those teams averaged 235, 236, 283, and 320 yards per game rushing in his senior season. Not Paved bad. the way for some, yeah, unbelievable <laughs> rushing totals at Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, defensively, I'll, I'll go ahead and throw mine out there right now. Yeah. Um, went with uh, Trey Flowers at defensive end, and he's someone that had 47 and a half tackles for loss and 18 sacks. He also had 13 passes defended, which is really an underrated statistic as a defensive lineman, in sure. my opinion, yeah. as not only is it important to get after the quarterback for sacks, but disrupting his his passing windows and knocking the ball down is just as important. Defensive tackle, I, I only wanted to choose one, as it's obvious to go with Aaron Donald and Ndamukong Sue, but I narrowly went with Sue over Donald. Yeah. He was a first-team All-Big 12 uh, selection in 2018. 2008 and 2009 unanimous all-american selection in 2009 and in 2009 he 
also won the Outland Trophy, Lombardi Award, Bronco Nagurski Trophy, Chuck Bednarik Award, and the AP Player of the Year as he had 12 sacks and 20 and a half tackles for loss. And in his career, he also had four picks with two return touchdowns in those interceptions. And just to point out, the fans were not booing. They're saying, Sue. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many times that was uh, reiterated. <laughs> yeah, that that's everyone's favorite. That's every announcer's favorite, uh, that's, you know, that's their face killer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any, anyone that can be booed, you know. Boo slash sued uh, with that uh, vowel sound. I was saying boo earns. <laughs> boo earns. <laughs> so outside linebacker, I went with Kyle Van Noy. Uh, this is a guy that really had an underrated career collegiately when you look back at it. In, in his time at BYU, he had 61 and a half tackles for loss, including 22 in his junior year alone, 25 sacks in his career, seven picks, five forced fumbles, four fumbles recovered, and five defensive touchdowns. Yeah big-time playmaker on defense for the Cougars, and he's also credited with bringing along Ziggy Ansa and his development as well, so kind of an underrated piece of uh, the production that he had with BYU. Yeah, also referenced in Benedict and Katayan's book, The System, and a cool story there, he was about to quit from BYU football, and Bronco Mendenhall, who's now the head coach at Virginia, talked him into staying, made a couple of trips, said, you need football more than football needs you. Um, he was in and out of uh, troubled situations, didn't have a very good home life, and Van Noy credits a lot of his success and really considers Mendenhall like a father. So, again, check out that book, The System, a great chapter on Kyle Van Noy in there as well. Yeah, and, and like most Detroit Lions, he's enjoying his, his best success in the NFL away from Detroit. Yeah, damn it. <laughs> uh, middle linebacker, went with uh, Rameek Wilson from Georgia. 133 tackles his junior year, 110 his senior year. 18 tackles for loss in those two years combined to go with six sacks. Was really uh, uh, the, the key piece of that Georgia defense his junior, senior year. Cornerback, I went with Akib Tlaib. 13 career picks in three years, two defensive touchdowns, was an All-American and a key member of one of the biggest surprise teams in college football history when Kansas went 12-1 and and finished 7th in the AP, uh, AP poll his junior season. Quick story on that season for Kansas. Uh, I was itching to watch the finale of Kansas versus Missouri, the border war, where both teams, I believe, were undefeated or were in the top five. And Instead of being able to watch that, I had the fortune of going to a vegan wedding where there it was told that there was no phones, no football, none of that. So I got to miss that, and I couldn't even eat any friggin' meat for the wedding. So a lot of fun I had there. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, safety, I went with Mark Barron from Alabama. Three-time first-team All-SEC, which is impressive in its own right. Uh, also was a two-time first-team All-American. Finished his career with 12 picks, five sacks, 13 tackles for loss, and a total of 235 tackles. Actually switched over to linebacker with the Rams right now. So uh, Im impressive that he was, because he was thought of as, uh, of as kind of a bust as he was with the Bucks. Kind of retrained, uh, rechanged his entire career, moving to safety. Uh, or I'm sorry, to, to linebacker in that kind of hybrid role with the Rams um, and has kind of turned around his NFL career. So yeah. went with him from uh, uh, as he was one of the better safeties of the the uh, 2000s and beyond uh, in college football. For sure. And uh, that's all that I had, Chappie. Who else did you have on defense? Well, 
I, I'll tell you the guys that I agreed with you on. I did have Indomitian Sue at D-Tackle for many of the same reasons that you said. Uh, Akeem Talib at corner. Um, again, just a dominant defender for Kansas in that great season that they had. But I did go, I did team Sue up front with Aaron Donald. I just couldn't go yep. away from those two. It was very difficult. That defensive front, I, I was torn between those two and then also Adrian Claiborne, who played at Iowa, and then mm-hmm. Trey Flowers as well. But I had to go, you know, having that I used to coach the D-line when I was coaching in the high school ranks, I had a lot of value in finding very good D tackles to clog the middle. And so Donald and Sue both did a great job. Aaron Donald, his breakout year, defensive player of the year in the ACC and all American in 2013 had 28 and a half tackles for loss, 11 sacks, which is astounding. 28 and a half tackles for loss. There are some guys linebackers uh, who don't even get that many tackles in one season, but this is a guy who brought that many guys down behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah, he was really fun to watch. Really the only thing that Pitt had going for uh, his last year in in Pittsburgh. (laughs) Right, exactly. Um, Linebacker, I went with Dante Hightower, who played at Alabama. And in 2011, he had 85 tackles, 11 tackles for loss, four sacks and an interception. He was an All-American that year. And I also went with a little outside people's radar here, Landon Roberts from Houston. So in 2015, he had 142 tackles, 19 tackles for loss, six sacks, an interception, but also five pass passes broken up and forced two fumbles for the Cougars in 2015 as a senior. So I think that that was a pretty good, pretty productive year for, for Roberts. And yeah, then sure. joining Tlaib in the defensive backfield, I went with um, LaMarcus Joyner from F- Florida State, who in 2013, he was an All-American, made 69 tackles, seven tackles for loss, five and a half sacks. Uh, he picked off two passes, defended four others, and then caused three forced fumbles uh, back when Florida State was relevant uh, most recently. Since 2013, they really uh, have kind of been up and down more on the downside. So uh, they could certainly use some help from defenders like Joyner that they had in 2013. Yeah, and uh, I, I couldn't find any any really coaching um, uh, any any guys that were that kind of crossed between the the pro and the college ranks. Oh, however, I did stumble across Brett Bielema is actually a defensive consultant to the head coach for New England. I did um, see that. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So. so Bielema, of course, having his most success with Wisconsin. Uh, wonder if he's going to get back in the college coaching ranks in the near future as. I think if he were to stick it somewhere in the Midwest again, he could be successful. Yeah, I could see him jumping on and getting hired by some group of five team, maybe in like the Mountain West or, you know, even maybe even like a Mac school and, and kind of be in one of those uh, those busters, those teams that, you know, breaks out and has a 10 or even maybe an 11 win season mm-hmm. and then other power five schools start to flirt with him again. I certainly don't think he'll be welcome in in Arkansas anytime soon though. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's for sure. A couple of interesting stats to throw out to you here, Bip. Um, The most school or the schools that had the most players for uh, any Super Bowl roster, Georgia was one. Do you know the other school that has four current players on uh, one of those rosters? Uh, Rutgers. Rutgers. Very good. Yep. So a little bit of surprise to me. The Pac-12 had five teams with that had three each. Um, Also, can you name the college that has the most MVPs? Not the most MVP players, but the most total MVP trophies. Super Bowl MVPs. Uh, 
Super Bowl MVPs. Um, I'm going to say Michigan. Yep, they have four with Tom Brady winning three and Desmond Howard winning the fourth. Alabama has three players, uh, three separate players. Georgia has three different players, uh, as does Notre Dame and USC. Um, the conference with the most MVPs, believe it or not, is the independent conference. Now, as you can imagine, Notre Dame accounts for many of those 12 Super Bowl MVP awards. Um, the SEC. I would, assume that, I would assume that the Navy also gets credited for well, yep. although they're not independent anymore. But Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, this was this was an article that was put out this year, so you know, maybe they don't uh, qualify. But, um, okay. So uh, the SEC has 10 MVPs, Pac-12 with nine, Big Ten with eight, ACC and Big 12 each with two, which a um, little bit surprising considering, you know, the Big 12 has some of the power programs like Oklahoma, Texas, but they only have two Super Bowl MVPs. So I guess it's not mm-hmm. what you do in your career. It's just that one big game, which is the most important game of the year. Yeah. So we're going to get away from the program. We don't want to sway any of our listeners to think that we are – all about professional football or that we're turning our attention. We are definitely a college football podcast here. And so Bip and I are going to give you quickly 11 reasons why the college game is better than the pro game. And we're going to start off by saying that college does not have free agent. Oh, wait, uh, hold on. Never mind. Let's throw that one out. Bip. Uh, starting with number 11, college has a better yeah. overtime format, uh, which I've, I've been reading that they're looking at in this off season, but I like the fact that college, they're going to give you a chance and they're going to give each team a chance to try and win it as opposed to this pseudo sudden death type thing where you kick off and, and you've got to march all the way down the field. And really what NFL teams are saying is don't screw up on defense. Don't screw up on offense. And if we take a tie, we take a tie. This is the year uh, in the NFL that had more ties than I can remember in any recent history. And it was kind of boring and kind of uh disheartening to see yeah and the browns were three minutes 30 ways 38 seconds away from having four ties this year so they had three games lost in overtime yeah. and one tie yeah so wow. <laughs> um number 10 the triple option the service academies run it georgia southern runs it georgia tech used to run it uh there's the spread triple option those teams that can run it effectively it's really cool to see because you don't come across it too often and when it's run um efficiently it's really something it's really something cool to observe yeah and you ask any relevant any credible football coach they'll tell you if the triple option is run to perfection it is impossible to stop because you're basically taking away a defender and you're adding uh, a ghost offensive player in your in your attack there so yeah love the triple option Yeah, and I I really would have been interested to see if uh, Tim Tebow were to ever really try to run the triple option, how that offense would really look Uh, with someone like him at the helm. That would be great to see him in a Navy uniform running that triple option. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Uh, Number nine, college game day beats any, any pro pregame show. You've got Chris Fowler slash Reese Davis. Both guys have been phenomenal as the lead host on that show. you got Curb Herbstreet. You've got uh, David Pollack. Yeah, Lee Corso ten years ago. Mm, yeah, and the key it. word is ten. Yeah, the, the key word is ten years ago because I don't know who's manning the Corso Muppet that's up there right now, 
Yeah. Uh, His time has served him well, and it's time to step down. He and Desmond can just go off together. Yeah, you're you're better off just splicing in and editing in Dick Clark reruns from his last five years on uh, the the New Year's Eve special. So uh, God love you, Lee Corso. I know that age is is taking it away from you, but man, it's it's time to hang it up, Scooter. You've been doing a great job. Let's go out on top, brother. Yeah, Yeah, every legend needs to know when it's time to step down. Yeah. 10 years ago. Time was five years ago. <laughs> right. yeah. So um, number eight, we have rankings. There's more to talk about because we're looking at standings for only 30 teams uh, as far as the NFL is concerned. And, you know, it, it's really just about uh, overall record with that. But with college football, you have who did you play? How well did you play? What kind of talent level is on your team who was hurt who wasn't there's a lot more to discuss there's a lot more to debate with about your friend you know with amongst your friends yeah and it really makes things a lot more exciting if the nfl had a a weekly um playoff uh, ranking system i think that would add a lot more intrigue obviously it's never going to happen yeah. but just one of the things that makes college football a lot more exciting than the nfl yeah and and i always or I, I never like it when people will jump down the throats of people who put out top 25 preseason rankings and say oh the polls are useless you're, you're wasting your breath uh no we're not it's it's a great topic to discuss in the long nine months that we have to wait in college football purgatory until the season kicks off. And what are you going to talk about in the NFL? Oh, the NFC East. The Patriots are good. The Dolphins are competitive. Bills suck. Jets suck. Uh, Move on, right? So yeah, I agree. Rankings uh, much better made in college football. Number seven, college football has more teams, which means that there's more games and more parity. There's 130 teams, which means that we, BIP, as college football passionates, get 65 games a week spanning three to five days. So I don't know about you, but Sunday NFL, you've got your noon kickoffs, you've got your four o'clock kickoffs, and then you've got a Sunday night, you've got a Monday night, and really that's it. But college football, you can turn and flip the channel at any point. So if there's a boring game, there's a about 20 others in that time slot that you can look at and, and feast on, and that's what makes the college game so much better. Yeah, for sure. Number six, we got bowl games, which means extra football. So in addition to the regular season, you have a whole slate that starts from mid-December and goes all the way through to the first couple weeks in in January. Now that you factor in the fact that we have playoffs, could be expanded. Playoffs? Just adds the extra element of intrigue. I I think the only thing that the NCAA could tweak is taking away conference tie-ins, so that way you make sure that you have the best teams playing the best teams, and so you have a situation of one playing two, two playing or three playing four, five playing six, and so on. But uh, regardless, the the bowl games are are much more interesting uh, as of right now than than the NFL playoffs. Yep, and I don't know about you, but did the misses ever ask you, uh, thinking that bowl season was really just one or two days and wondering why there's another football game on? There are already four or five on this week, and how long is it going to go? And you're like, uh, honey, we've got about three more weeks of this, so buckle up. <laughs> yeah, that usually starts about September 21st. Right. Of, is the season done yet? Yeah, exactly. Nope, they play two weeks, honey. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, number five, we've got actual rivalries. Now I don't I don't know about you, Bit, but I 
have never heard a Detroit Lions fan say, oh, I hate the Bears. I hate them with a passion. I hate the Packers. I, I, I can't stand them. In college football, you've got Michigan hates Michigan State and vice versa. You've got Auburn hates Ar- or, uh, Alabama and vice versa. Army and Navy, as much as they call themselves brothers, they hate each other in that game. And you wait 365 days to beat that one team. And if you don't, that's a long time. And even if you do win, that's 364 days that you get to brag about it, but also prepare to make sure that your team wins again because you can't lose that rivalry game. We also have rivalry trophies, things like the Paul Bunyan's Axe, the Bronze Boot, the Commander-in-Chief Trophy. Uh, these trophy games where these teams, they will literally sprint at a 4-2-40 to get to the chest or the closet to get that trophy that they've coveted for that one game. You just don't see that in the NFL. It's really just, where's my paycheck? Uh, what do I want to complain about? Let me tweet this on the sidelines because I'm making millions and my coach doesn't have leverage over me. They really can't punish me. Yeah, well, to be fair, as a Lions fan, you have to have a give and take in a uh, a given series of win-loss, and the Lions <laughs> don't really have that with any of their opponents. But Touché. to your point, I, I agree. And the great thing about college football rivalries is you can kind of pick and choose who your most hated rival is. Yeah, Me as a Notre Dame fan, USC is our biggest rival and always has been, but my most hated opponent is Michigan. So mm-hmm. the fact that they're back on our schedule makes every game – uh, that those two teams play that much more exciting. And then in addition to that, you also have Stanford, USC, and you really have a multitude of rivals in college football compared to if there are any rivalries in the NFL, like back when Brady and Manning were playing against each other, you kind of just have that one and that's it. Right. And you might have it for 10 years and then it could go away. Yeah, and and to, to my team, the Northwestern Wildcats, our rivalry game, which is the only trophy game we play, that's the Illinois Fighting Illini. But we've won six out of the last seven years. We've won four straight. And so really, the teams that I uh, loathe and I want to beat no matter what are the Wisconsin Badgers and the Iowa Hawkeyes because, you know, they, they've they given us some better matches and they have stolen or taken away our opportunities to compete for a Big Ten West or a Big Ten championship in years past. So fortunately, we, we won those uh, rivalry games this year. Sure. Number four, we have hand and arm gestures. We got the hook'em horns, the U, the Oregon O, the cat claw, the sick'em bears, the guns up. Really just a, a nice um, group of, of no matter where you are or, or who you are, you can kind of recognize who's rooting for who and pick them out of a crowd. It's really one of the cool things that's unique to the college atmosphere. Yeah, it's a nonverbal communication tool to let the the fans beside you know that, hey, I'm, I've got guns up for the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Let's go out and let's get them. Or I've got my Sikkim Bears claw up for the Baylor Bears, and we want to beat the Texas Tech Raiders. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's a bigger thing in the South, but you certainly see a lot of these gestures and some of these uh, signaling antics within the college ranks and their, and their fan base. Uh, number three, we've got the bands and fight songs after touchdowns. To me, that's one of the coolest things that separates college football from the NFL is after an NFL touchdown, they kick the point after, and, and nowadays they they miss them more often than not. Um, and then you go right to commercial, but there's no fanfare. Everybody's kind of just, it's almost like a, an old country club. It's kind of boring, but there's nothing better than seeing a big score and hearing that band strike up and it's it's thumping with bass and you've got the, the horns and the 
the brass going. And it really gives you goosebumps if you're a, a true college football fan and it, and it kind of gets your juices going. Whereas in the NFL, it's, it's uh, you know, we scored, okay, uh, let's return volley and let's, let's kick off again. So it, it lacks that luster. Right, right. Two, we have traditions. We have the script Ohio dotting the I. We have Howard's Rock, Enter Sandman, Tumor's Corner. You know, just a, a number of, and lots of them that I may not even be aware of due to them being just a, a local one for the, the, the diehard fans of, you know, said university. So um, really something that's cool that happens at the beginning, during, or after football games that are, are really special and, and unique to each each college campus um, that uh, the fan base is a part of. Yeah, and uh, getting looking ahead on future podcasts when Bip and I start to break down each of the conferences and we review some of the happenings that went on in 2018, we're also going to look at some of the cool traditions from each conference, from each team. So stay tuned for that. Our last one, our number one, and to me, this is a, an obvious number one bit, but with the college football season, you have a longer day of football. So it literally goes from noon kickoff and sometimes the latest kickoff. If you're watching Hawaii, it's at midnight. So you literally could be watching football from noon until four in the morning. Uh, whereas in the NFL, you really have maybe eight hours two four hour time slots that you're looking at. But also with the college game, at the very least, you get three days or three nights of football. And at most, sometimes you're getting five nights. So as we get into like November, you've got Maction that's kicking off on Tuesday. You've got Sunbelt mm -hmm. mixed in on Wednesday. You've got your college game of the week on Thursday. You've got a Friday game. Then you've got all the games on Saturday as well. In and around Labor Day, you mix in a, a Sunday and a Monday game. So there are sometimes where it's literally five days of college football. Ugh, can't think of uh, much better to, to put on the tube. Absolutely. <laughs> so that's going to wrap up for us on this podcast. Where can you find us at? Well, obviously you're listening somewhere, but if this is not as convenient for you, keep in mind that we are broadcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, Overcast, and Radio Public. Simply just enter a Google search a bowl full of chips podcast, and you should be able to find any of these. We also recommend throwing in one of those names and you're likely to come up with a hit or send us a, uh, a message on Twitter. Of course, I am at champion underscore lit. And I am at BFC BIP. That's at BFC BIP. So if you are looking for a better avenue or a better platform, give us a shout and we'll certainly send it your way. So sadly, we've got a close up shop for today. But like Mr. Rogers used to say, I want to thank you, boys and girls, for being such wonderful guests today. We hope you learned something and you had fun. So we all want to thank you for listening, especially those who are back again and not fighting your healthy addiction of a bowl full of chips. We strongly hope you continue to subscribe, listen, but also spread the word and please help us be heard. If you like what you hear and are propelled to do so, please rate us with an honest and hopefully positive review. On our next episode, we are going to tee it up, walk back 10 yards, and kick off our conference reviews from 2018, starting with the SEC. So thanks for listening to A Bowl Full of Chips. I am Chappie. And I'm Bip. And remember, biggest isn't always best. So thanks for choosing the right over the rest. Keep bowling, everybody. Peace, Bip. Peace. <laughs>